civilians killed, concentration camps, rape, murder, like the whole, the whole nine, Philippines gets pacified. Um, that's 1898. This is Wine, Women, and Revolution with your host, Heather Warburton. Hi, and welcome to Wine, Women, and Revolution. I'm your host, Heather Warburton. Tonight, I've got a guest who's been on the show a couple of times. Welcome back, Christian <laughs> Perez, um, host of Modernity and Absurdity. Thank you for all around awesome guy. <laughs> Thank you. Best introduction ever. So how are you doing tonight? <laughs> I'm doing really well, doing really well, enjoying this uh, this winter night. You know, doing some research, working on a on a kind of a depressing topic, uh, but uh, you know, something that we need to discuss. It's definitely an important topic, and 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 looking at what's going on in the news right now, it's incredibly important, incredibly relevant. Yeah, so we're kind of recording this tonight. Hopefully not on the brink of World War Three, oh, but it's it's not as ruled out of the question as I might like it to be. Yeah, things are a little intense with Iran right now. Even yeah, though the, uh, the international penis waving is off to a good start, and then uh, <laughs> I, I mean I, I, I I'm sorry to say it that early, but that's that's what it is. I mean the Iranians bombed something, and there wasn't really anybody there, so maybe it's de-escalated. I, I don't I don't know. So, yeah, we're very confused. And I guess Trump scary. gave some sort of speech today that he wasn't going to further escalate. But who knows with him, you know, it's all ego, so, it's all ego. show a force. And I don't know. Scary, scary stuff. But uh, that does kind of set the stage a little bit for what we're going to talk about tonight yeah. is we are, the subject for tonight we're going to discuss is kind of. The U.S. has a long history of, in its imperialism, screwing around with other countries. Other oh, countries boy. that are perfectly happy minding their business, the U.S. kind of comes in and dicks them around throughout <laughs> history. Well, I, I wouldn't always say that they're, they're perfectly happy, and I think that that's one of the misconceptions, is um, we, we tend to think that, that there's always unified support or unified disdain for, for these dictators, and that's a lot of what the propaganda tells us. Oh, every, like... Right now, when Iran bombed, when, when, when Trump killed uh, Soleimani, when he gave the order, uh, it's because all Iranians are evil, right? All Iranians are evil. But when Obama was president and we were trying to get the, uh, the, nuclear, the nuclear deal passed, it's, oh, well, all Iranians aren't bad. It, it's, it's whatever you need them to be at the moment. Uh, the other is whatever you need them to be. You know, if, if they're bad, you need them to be bad. If you need them to be good, they'll be good. They're just tools, unfortunately, in the propaganda game. Yeah, really, they very rarely get thought of as people. But, oh. you know, so Brian has done a couple of really good shows on Iran. Oh, yeah. But if anyone was not able to catch them, can you yeah. just give us a little really quick history really quick. of Absolutely. the U.S. history with Iran? Yeah, so uh, 1953, the democratically elected leader of Iran was a man named uh, Mossadegh. Uh, he was elected. He was incredibly democratically elected. He was incredibly popular. Uh, however, he made a mistake. He nationalized the British-owned oil company. Uh, the name escapes me right now. Basically, Iran had one oil company, and it was owned by the British. And this guy Mossadegh said, "Look, this is a lot of money. It's leaving the country. I'm going to nationalize it, and I'm going to give the English 25% of the profits. We'll cut you in on this deal." The English said, "No, unacceptable." 
we want everything, we want you to pay us back, we want you to pay you for everything. And the Iranians said, we can't do that. The profits you've stolen are more than enough. So the British blockaded them, called up the Americans for help. They oust Mossadegh. Uh, in power, they placed this uh, guy, he's the uh, uh, Mohammad Reza Shah. He was the Shah of Iran, uh, not democratically elected. Uh, a very brutal tyrant, very much so that he brutalized Iran for over 20 years. And Iran became a lesson for the world because what the Shah did under U.S. and British control was almost entirely eliminate and murder the left wing in Iran. So that the only institutions left to criticize the, the, the violence and the murder of, of the Shah and his government were the right wing ayatollahs. So when they had the revolution, unlike, say, the American Revolution or the Russian Revolution or the Cuban revolutions, revolutions that we'll look at that can say, oh, these are good, these are progressive revolutions, what you had was a right-wing government overthrowing another right-wing government. And that's what brings us to where we're at today. Unfortunately, in the United States, as we'll see later on in this discussion, Americans have a short memory or they just don't know things. So while Americans have no clue what's been going on in Iran for the past you know, 50, 60 years, Iranians know and they're angry and they're very upset. So this brings us to today, United States interferes in Iraq, in Afghanistan, we invade, millions of people are killed, Arab Spring all these years later, throughout North Africa and parts of Arabia. Uh, Iran has definitely uh, imposed itself in uh, the Arab world and in Middle Eastern politics, You know, such as the game, that's politics. And uh, they are, the United States, I guess militarily they'd be our enemy, not the Iranian people, but definitely the Iranian government. And, you know, they have supported some terrorism in the past, but what happened was last week, the head of the Iranian Republican Guard, this guy Soleimani, was, what they say is he was in Iraq on some kind of peace visit. I don't know if that's the case, but while he was there, he was killed by a missile attack uh, on an order given by Donald Trump. So that brings us to where we're at now. The Iranians just retaliated by shooting missiles at a bunker that, or at a, at a base. It was empty. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they'd gotten the news and they had had a bunker and the soldiers hid in a bunker. Mismanagement, interference in a country, in a region of the world that we shouldn't be in. Uh, using lies, saying that the Soviet Union was, was governing Iran when the Soviets did nothing the entire time we were, we were in Iran. And uh, it's led to increased hostilities between our country and theirs. Uh, things have gotten worse because of decisions made by our government, in particular President Donald Trump, and that's where it is today. That's where we're at. Yeah, and we're in a very scary place, and we don't really have a lot of allies as no. a country left anymore because yeah, of this interventionist policy we have and have historically had yeah. across the globe. But specifically tonight, I wanted to talk about We've done a lot of damage in Latin America. Yes. This country and historically it, like it goes back like hundreds of years. Yeah. This isn't even just a recent phenomenon. Yeah. Although in 2019 we kind of supported two different coups that were happening in uh, yeah. Venezuela and Bolivia. Absolutely. We were up until just last year we we're still trying to overthrow governments there, but this goes back hundreds of years and hundreds you were, of years. Absolutely. And uh, so can you give us a little bit of a brief, like some of the major, major things points. maybe people don't know about or, you know, because we don't learn a lot of this in our history books. No, unfortunately. We, we don't. We don't, unfortunately. And I'm always thankful to uh, like my dad who would always tell me, you know, son, I, I'm glad he would proud of me that I would get an A in history class. I was always the best that there was in history. But he'd be like, you know, that's not the real history. Right. Like, thanks, Pop. That's good news. But um, 
historically, uh, at least in the beginning, the United States respected, or at least the U.S. military respected the Mexican military. It was long, it was old, it was strong, and it was powerful. But uh, the problem is Mexico came up against something it couldn't fight, and that was uh, American Manifest Destiny. Uh, the United States had this self-imposed destiny where they felt they were going to conquer the entire American continent from sea to shining sea. And in the way was the nation state of Mexico. And in a disastrous war for the Mexicans, Mexico lost two thirds of its territory. That was the Mexican-American War of 1848. Uh, like I said, Mexico lost two thirds of its territory, the entire American Southwest from California uh, parts of Montana, which Montana, people don't realize Montana, Nevada, California. These are all Spanish words. New Mexico. These are like, I refuse to say Nevada. It's Nevada. I will never say Nevada. It's Nevada. And that's a biggie. It's a biggie for me. But um, so 1848, 1898, we're going to fast forward uh, 50 years. You have the Spanish-American War. The United States is growing. It finally makes it to the Pacific Ocean. And there's this crisis where the United States says, what are we going to do? We've only ever grown. And we're surrounded by all these powers that continue to grow, the British, the Spanish, um, the Dutch, and so on and so forth. Even Germany, uh, uh, Belgium, France, they all had empires. So there were people in this country that felt, and, you know, there, there's a bunch of different reasons. I'll, t I, you know, I'll say the truth was they wanted resources and they wanted markets for their goods. And in order to compete economically on the global stage, we needed to have an empire or so the masters and the elitists of this country felt. So, I mean, that's capitalism, that is, right? That, capitalism, capitalism requires constant growth. But that is capitalism. It could be the United States. It could be Rome. It could be Mongolia. Anytime a country does well, it's usually at the expense of its neighbors. So as the United States did well, it was at the expense of Mexico. It was at the expense of Latin America. And as we're growing... There were fading imperial powers, uh, the most prominent being Spain. At one point, 1492, 1500s, Spain was the world's superpower. King Charles V of Spain was the most powerful man in the world. But by the time 1898 comes around, Spain is a faded empire. So uh, for whatever reason, there's an explosion of a ship called the Maine in Havana Harbor. You know, there were conspiracy theorists in the United States who said it was the Spanish who blew it up. But the Cubans are having a revolution. There's an American gunship there. There's accusation that the Spanish blew it up. So we invade. We steal Cuban independence. We take self-determination independence away from Puerto Rico, which is where my, my family comes from. Uh, Guam and the Philippines are also taken as a result of the Spanish-American War. Uh, in the Philippines, the United States would end up paying Spain $20 million. The ensuing Filipino War, which nobody knows about in the United States, it was a war that I have to look at it. It was 1898 to 1903. It was a five-year war, and 4,200 American soldiers died, and 100,000 Filipinos were killed in this war. But they don't even teach it in the United States. It's like no, I've never even heard of the Filipino War. It's a paragraph in in your American history chapter on the Spanish-American War. My wife, however, is such an amazing. She's she's paying attention. She's motioning to me in the background. She does teach it, and she actually just before I got on this conversation with you had a really good PowerPoint presentation on that. But um, we pacify the Philippines, $100,000, ends up costing us $400 million to pacify the Philippines. Civilians killed, concentration camps, rape, murder, like the whole, the whole nine, Philippines gets pacified. Um, that's 1898. In 1898, you have this crisis of conscience, this, this crisis of being in Latin America. 
where you have these elites that are on one hand dealing with uh, blatant bigoted race science coming in from Europe. They are dealing with an overbearing American state, which is at the height of Jim Crow in the year 1898. Okay. So all these ideas of race science and white supremacy are seeping into Latin America, where there has always traditionally been hostility against Native Americans, against Africans. So you have this elite in Latin America, many of which probably have Indian ancestry, who start to question themselves. And they say, are we not as good as the Americans? Is it because we're not as white as they are? There's this weird crisis that, 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 that happens in like the being of Latin America at, at that time. Um, and I've always found it interesting how quickly elites in Latin America, um, not just politically or economically, but culturally, were, a, were, were willing and able to just bend over to the United States. It's a different culture, but the way dictators, elites will sell out their own countries for a slice of the pie, it, it's always amazed me the way you could just sit back and let people die as long as you get, you get kickbacks. And that's really what a lot of these third world dictators are. It could be Mobutu in Africa. It could be Batista in Cuba before, before Castro. It's, it's they're, they're thugs who, who watch over a feudal estate. And that's basically what happens. But again, I'm sorry. I'm, uh, I'm kind of uh, dragging No, no, that's an interesting uh, tangent that you just went yeah. down of how people are so willing to sell out yeah. their own people. They'll do it. For do money. It. Yeah. Money is, money, you know, the power. only thing that money and power, yeah, yeah, are that's what so many people that's all they care about and yeah. there's people's lives being devastated. Yeah, I mean, I always tell with my every time that these sort of things happen. I I don't really like the phrase cold war because again, the phrase cold war has a little bit of uh privilege and exceptionalism to it. Because if I'm living in the United States, for the most part, it was a Cold War because we never fought the Russians. But if you're living in Guatemala where 200,000 Mayans were slaughtered in a couple of years, the Cold War was very real to you. If you are a veteran coming back from the Vietnam War dealing with PTSD, the Cold War is very real to you. And we tend to, to, just, to just gloss over that whole part of history because of specifically how it affected us without realizing that Africa, Asia, Latin America, th these parts of the world were just ripped to shreds and they're still dealing with, uh, with, with that today. I mean, we talk about migration today. There's a really good book people could read. I'm showing you because you know the listeners can, can, can see things, but uh, it's a really good book. It's called Harvest of Empire by Juan Gonzalez. He, had a, he made a film out of it also. He's the co-host of Democracy Now! And the video I believe is for free on YouTube. So it's called Harvest of Empire, a history of Latinos in America. And the idea being those where the thesis is those countries in which the United States had the biggest hand, Puerto Rico, Mexico, Dominican Republic, El Salvador, Guatemala. Those are the very countries that sent the most people here. So, okay. I mean, it, 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 which is why, you know, that, that's why you have certain at certain times in history, you have certain groups of Latinos coming almost in uh, almost in waves. My family came here in the post-war era my my um from puerto rico my mother's father came here to work in the garment district i believe it was in the 50s and my father's father was in the army so my dad was an army brat who moved from puerto rico to texas in the 1950s oh brutal culture shock talk about it but um I, again i digress so 1904 1914 you have the panama canal opening what's that all about we need goods we need to ship out to asia we need we need to uh we have all these, 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 these things we need to sell in Asian markets. Well, you know, we could go around Africa, forget it, that'll take forever. We can go 
around the south of Latin America, which will take forever. So what do they decide? The Americans decide, we're going to build a canal in Panama, except Panama doesn't exist. There's no such thing as Panama. So they go to Panama, which is a district of Colombia, like a, not like D.C., but a part of basically Panama is northern Colombia. And the Colombians wake up one day and they see in the news that, hey, the northern part of the country has declared its independence. They're going to be creating a canal. And if you got a problem with it, you could deal with these American gunships that seem to have showed up overnight. So we basically imposed um, Panamanian separation on, on Colombia. So Panama really wasn't a country 100 years ago. Which is, which is, it was just purely, yeah. we want we, a canal. We, we this is ours canal. now. This is what we're going to do. This is, I, I, I'm taking it. That's, and that's what comes with it. And uh, I believe, and I'll, I'll give you some, uh, some cartoons so that when we publish this podcast, you can publish them with it. This, this idea of we're bringing civilization to these people, right? At, yes, it's at the tip of a bayonet, but it's because they're barbarians, right? Spare the rod, spoil the child. When you look at a lot of this artwork, it's usually Uncle Sam. Um, with a bunch of children. The children are usually Puerto Rico or, or Cuba or, or uh, usually Puerto Rico, Cuba, Guam, Hawaii, the Philippines. And it's Uncle Sam teaching all these, these children. They're always brown children, right? And depending on what's going on, they're going to show you how they're portrayed. So for instance, Puerto Rico, which didn't put up the fight that Cuba did, Puerto Rico is always portrayed as brown, but in nice clothes because Puerto Rico kissed the ring. Cuba, which has always put up a fight, Cuba is portrayed as an unruly bumpkin black child. Um, images of the Philippines, Queen Lilio Kalani of Hawaii, who was <laughs> a Pacific woman, very not an African woman, and artwork at the time is portrayed as like this mammy African black ape character who's almost like a fool herself. This idea of arrogance where they come in, um, they know what's better for you, they know what to do with your land and your house better than you do. And if you don't get it, if you don't go along with it, then you are the problem. You're just a barbarian who's rejecting, rejecting civilization. If anyone listened to my show about the racial bias of fatness um, or of obesity, like how there's the anti-fat bias yeah. that stems out of race, a lot of the stuff will sound very familiar because, you know, we talked about things like this certain tribe that was portrayed completely differently no matter depending on for what reason they were being portrayed where they may be short they may be tall they may be dark-skinned they may be heavy they may be thin and it's the same group of people being yeah. talked about but it's just however it's most beneficial for those who are creating the propaganda of the time to portray them is how they're portrayed i thought you were going to go a totally different way with that i have an interesting story do you know the story of spam in samoa like, you know, the like, meat, like, the, like, yeah, that, okay, that's the canned meat stuff, meat yeah. Make with eggs when, when you want heartburn first thing in the morning. Um, uh, so basically, Samoa has been ravaged by imperialism so, imperialism so much that a lot of traditional Samoan cooking and Samoan cuisine has been lost. So in the war in the Pacific in World War II, Americans would show up and use a lot of those islands as bases, as way stations to get to Asia and so on and so forth. And what they did was, you know, the Americans come, the Americans bring American supplies with them. One of them is spam. Uh, so much so that Samoans become obsessed with spam. Like you can get spam and eggs at McDonald's. Anything you want, spam and Samoa. But the problem is spam is not good for you, but it's cheap. So it becomes poor people food. So you have this rampant case, like these, these rampant cases of obesity 
in, in place like Samoa where they're eating non-nutritional food because it's all they have access to. And it's only because of their interactions with the outside world, in particular, the, the United States. And you could look at similar instances with uh, Coca-Cola and Mexico. Uh, people get bought off by, um, give, you know, I, if you're a principal at a school, I'll say, hey, look, as long as you sell Coca-Cola in, in your school, I'll give you X amount of cases of Coca-Cola to sell on your own. So they kind of like treat schools and public institutions, minor public institutions, the same way they would treat these countries on a grand scale. Hey, if you do X, Y, and Z, as long as you do business, I'll give you a slice of the pie. And it, that's literally just touching the surface. It gets so much worse. But World War I happens. The United States hasn't really ingrained itself totally in Latin America. Um, we're trying to buy off the Brazilians. We're trying to buy off a lot of countries in Latin America that do have some, some sympathies with, the, uh, with you know, Germany and, and who was it? Germany and Austria at the time. But for the most part, they back off. The Americans are able to buy uh, the support of Latin America. The big changes, when America, when the United States really ramps up its actions in Latin America is in the post-World War era, post-World War II. While the United States is rebuilding Europe, giving them millions of dollars to rebuild their infrastructure, we look at Latin America, which didn't see the war, and said, no, we're not going to build an industry there. We're just going to continue to use them as resource acquisition. So mining in Chile or sugar in Cuba and so on and so forth. So they, they decide white people get to be rebuilt. These brown people over here, they are going to continue to be used as just, you know, gatherers of resources and so on. We're going to keep them third world, which again, something about third world, I don't like to use the phrase, but also don't like using the phrase developing world because they're going to be developing forever. They're never going to allow those countries to be developed. Every country can't be America, and that's the reality, and that's something that we need to come to terms with here. Well, I just learned, I think it was just maybe last year, that third world really just meant who you aligned with That was the original in a war. meeting. In the Cold War era, the first world was the United States, the West, and our allies. The second world was the Soviet Union and their allies. And the third world was the poorer countries, non-aligned movement, and so on and so forth. Um, in, in reality, uh, almost every country was aligned. Two thirds of the country of the planet were aligned with the West. The other third were aligned with the Soviet Union. So um, more recently, even though the phrase has fallen out of favor, first world means the United States or basically North America, but not Mexico, US, Canada, Western Europe, Japan. Second world is probably Australia, Eastern Europe, Canada. And then the third world is really your Latin America, sub you know, sub-Saharan, all of Africa, Southeast Asia. Oh, the global um, south, the, really. The global south, the what we would call the developing countries, the, the, the poorest the poorest countries. Yeah. So, I mean, depending on who you're talking to, they're going to have different meaning. But, yeah, it's good that we clarified that. But 1950s, 1940s, the Cold War immediately begins. So uh, the powers that be in this country decided we have to stop communism, i.e., we have to be able to sell our goods and collect our resources freely. That's what communism means, right? All this talk about dictatorships. We'll do business with dictators. We don't care. The only right-wing dictator we overthrew was Rafael Trujillo in the Dominican Republic. But that's because he was such a barbarian that it was becoming an embarrassment to support him. He actually sent a car bomb after the Venezuelan president at the time. And the Venezuelan president survived and turned to the U.S. and said, we're going to invade the Dominican Republic. And if you don't do something about it, we're going to, you know, we need to do something. The Cubans were also threatening to invade the Dominican Republic. That's how bad it was at the time. So Nixon, I don't know, is it? Nixon, it was Johnson, I believe, 
um, stepped in and we, we, we overthrew their government. They elect a socially a social Democrat and boom, he's gone. So they go from dictatorship to social democracy for like a, a, for like a year maybe. And then they get overthrown and it's back to that guy through here right hand man. I mean, it, I won't go into it, but that guy through here was a real barbarian, um, led a lot of genocidal attacks against Haitians, against a lot of black, uh, black Dominicans. Um, the one good thing he did, and it was a good thing for a bad reason, was he allowed a lot of uh, Jewish refugees. Um, in I had another, another friend on that yeah. did a show, yeah. and we talked about the town of yeah. Sosua. And he did it, which is good, but he did to it whiten because, up the population. to whiten up the population. There's a phrase which I learned from a, a Cuban coworker years ago. It's called mejor la raza, which means to better the race, which basically means make it whiter. That's what that means. Mejor la, mejor la raza means make, you know, improve the race, which really just means uh, to whiten it up. So they, they did take in um, Spanish Republicans from uh, World War II um, or the Spanish Civil War. So it was a good thing done for, for the, the wrong reasons. And that's, that's what I'll say about that. Um, so it, it's really during the Cold War when the United States, like I said, ramps up its violence in, in Latin America. So I can kind of go country by country, if that's what you'd want to talk about, like a, a couple countries. Yeah, give us a couple, yeah. give it, uh, my listeners, just a couple of different, yeah. like some of the key, the key ones. you know, right. real so the, stuff the that we I'll did. The about was... is uh, Cuba, right? Cuba is the one that everybody always wants to talk about. Well, up until about this year when it became about Venezuela and Bolivia. But every year up until 2019, it was always about Cuba. Cuba was always a, uh, a puppet of the United States. There were a series of dictators that always did what the United States want them to, wanted them to do. Uh, there are documents showing that as early as the 1700s, founded, the founding fathers had designs on Cuba. They wanted Cuba. Um, Cuba into the 40s, 50s, uh, kind of took on the, uh, I guess, the reputation of being a tourist trap, very much like the Godfather. This idea of, you can get, like, like Las Vegas, what happens in Cuba stays in Cuba. You can go there, fool around, and then come back to the States and, and do what you want to do. Uh, what happens is a lawyer by the name of Fidel Castro leads a revolution and overthrows the Batista, the Batista regime in 1959. And he says, look, I want to do business with the, U with the U.S. And a lot of people don't know this, that the U.S., the CIA, was funding both Batista and giving some money to Castro during the revolution. Huh. Yeah, okay. they, were, they, were, they were playing both sides. It's what the CIA does. They were playing both sides. And that's not the end of me talking about the CIA. And people wonder why we don't trust them today. So... Castro says, look, I'll do business. By the way, um, you can't treat my people like crap anymore. We want some human rights. We want wage imp improvements. We want access to more land. And the United States is like, nah, it's, it's not going not to happen. Forget it. Um, so Cuba says, look, we need to buy an oil shipment from you. And the U.S. says, all right, look, our oil shipment is going to cost you X. And the Cubans, at this point, uh, the tensions are rising with the United States. They say, look, you're charging us too much. So they buy oil from the Soviets. So the Soviet oil tanker shows up and an American-owned oil company says, no, we're not going to refine uh, Soviet oil. So Castro says, uh, okay, screw you. I'm going to nationalize the oil company. This is obviously the, uh, the bridge version of what happens. So Cuba right. nationalizes the oil industry. This leads to increased tensions with the United States, and the United States cuts him off. 
right? And as I always wait, tell my, weren't we just talking about somebody else that nationalized their resources? Yeah, exactly. What happens? Maybe so there's a pattern developing says, here. Look, you know, we're, we're making all this money off of sugar and other resources. You own all this land in our country. And when we talk about Guatemala, I'll give you a couple more facts. But, you know, you, you have to give us a larger piece of the pie, but that's too much to ask, right? Civilization requires you take a back seat, right? Remember, people were indignant that Rosa Parks wanted to sit at the front of the bus because she didn't know her place. And everybody that hated Rosa Parks for not taking her place were probably all the same people who would sit there and tell you that America was the freest country in the world. But, you know, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. But uh, so I always tell my students, look, there's two games in town. There's two games in town. One game tells you to go to hell. Where are you going to go? You're going to go to the other game. You got people to feed. You got a country to run. What are you going to do? So Castro went with the Soviets. And that's what led to all kinds of tensions. 1961, uh, John F. Kennedy, right? Oh, my God. The, the Jesus himself lead, or, uh, orders a failed, failed invasion of Cuba called the Bay of Pigs invasion, where it's a bunch of uh, exiles, Cuban exiles. Um, they attack they attack Cuba, thinking that the Cuban people are going to rise up and help them. Instead, the Cubans are waiting for them. And for whatever reason, they didn't get a, a bombing run beforehand. So they kicked the crap out of, out of the uh, the invasion is a total disaster. The Cubans kill most of them and then take them prisoners, end up ransoming them off to the United States for food and medicine. And then Cuba has, since 1961, dealt with numerous attempts on their sovereignty, the lives, numerous attempts on the life of Fidel Castro before he passed away and a continuing economic blockade. Everything from poisoning food, uh, blowing up ships in their harbor, sending in the aforementioned exiles as commandos to just run around and kill people in the country. There are stories of college students going to talk to poor blacks in, you know, in the hills, basically hillbillies, except they're black people, or just poor Cubans, teaching them to read and write. And in the night, commandos coming in and killing them all just because they're teaching black people and poor people how to read and write. And that's, that's really the beginning. So Fidel Castro had 78 attempts on his life and he stopped them 78? all. 78? 78. 78. So one, one, I, I don't know all of them, but one was they were going to put some kind of chemical in his shoes to make his hair fall out. They were going to uh, put a bomb or drugs in one of his cigars to screw him up. There was one story because he was a macho guy and he was a womanizer and, you know, nobody is outside of a criticism. He cheated on his wives, but um, they sent a young woman to seduce him, except she ended up falling in love with him. And he's like, ain't working. You know, he's too macho. He's too, too bearded, too, too macho, too, too handsome. He had too much of that Latin heat. But uh, basically what had happened was repeatedly the attempts on Castro's life had failed. Uh, attempts to turn the Cuban population against Castro have failed. And, Unfortunately, it's this increased aggression by the United States that forced Cuba to become an authoritarian country. I used to butt heads with people. Uh, I would say, look, Cuba is a defensive regime. You get rid of America, you get rid of the dictatorship. But Cubans know and the government knows that the second you allow democracy, you're going to allow Cuban, Cuban elections to be flooded with millions, if not billions of dollars. Right. You see it happening in Colombia. I'm sorry. Well, it happened in Colombia, but you see it happening in Venezuela. You see it happening in Bolivia. Uh, millions of dollars getting thrown around. And for Cubans, they know that American-style democracy uh, means being like Guatemala, being like El Salvador, being dirt poor. They know they get rid of their public education system. They get rid of their health care. That's the price that they're going to have to pay for freedom. And that's the reality of the situation. 
there are people that are going to be like, well, there's, there is no third way. There is no third way. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't work that way. And you can look at a democratically elected government like uh, Morales in Bolivia, and you can go back to some of the talks I've had on New Jersey Revolution Radio, but the reality is this. No matter how democratic your institution is, no matter how much support you have, it's never going to be enough for these people. And Fidel Castro understood that. He said, look, you know, it, 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 it sucks. I mean, the, the fact that human rights abuses in Cuba exist, it's a shame, and it's, it's a scar on the revolution. But this is to maintain order so that they're not overthrown by the United States. And that's a horrible, horrible thing for me to say, but it's the reality of the world, unfortunately, that we have to live. This is what politics turns people into. If you could be a good actor or well-intentioned, but this is what politics does to you. Speaking of money, you gave me, well, probably we'll call it after this one. You gave me a fairly astounding statistic about the influx of money into Chile at one point in time. Yeah, so basically 1973, September 11th, September 11th, 1973, the democratic elected president of Chile is overthrown, Salvador Allende. And uh, he became president democratically, but before he became president, he had gotten a really high percentage, I believe it was in the 1960 uh, presidential election in Chile. They, the Americans say, look, he can't have a shot at 1964. So the CIA floods basically what happens is the cia decides look we can't allow chile to have a democratically elected democratic election because this guy allende is going to get elected so they ended up flooding the country with 20 million dollars uh to discredit allende and to give to his his uh his uh, opponent in the election this is more money than goldwater and johnson spent in 1964 on their campaigns combined so when we talk about there's not enough money in this country for health care, for education, for after school programs and job training, they have had no problem spending millions, if not billions of dollars on, on elections, defrauding people out of their democracy. It, it, it's crazy. Even now with with Iran, nobody asks how much money any of this is going to cost. But the second we talk about educating little kids, all of a sudden everybody's got to pull out their checkbook. Right. And I think that leads into what I wanted to talk about a little bit more tonight mm -hmm. is the kinds of propaganda uh, you see. Yeah. Trying to rally up people. And, you know, this money's being thrown around yeah. left and right like crazy yeah. to try to convince people to support these actions, these interventions, yeah. these overthrowing of governments. Yes. The propaganda flows like wine. It's twofold. So on one hand, in the United States, you know, it could be 1898, it could be the 1950s, it could be 2019. Our news media either doesn't cover an issue, right? Like, like, like us bombing people in Yemen, people are starving in Yemen, Yemen people don't even know about that, whatever. And uh, it, it could be whenever, but in the United States, they either ignore the issue, they don't bring it up, you don't know about it, like I said, with Yemen, or they discredit what's happening. They misinform what's happening at the time. So, uh, in 1898, let's portray Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Filipinos, Hawaiians as dumb, dirty, brown bumpkins. That'll make us feel better. On the other hand, in the countries, they are flooding them with propaganda. In, in Chile, we're talking about taking out hundreds of ads over the course of a week, flooding flooding communities with newspapers, taking out radio ads. I, I'm sorry, I had to take it. I had to look up this thing here. But in Chile, there was a radio ad that went out specifically targeting mothers in Chile knowing that the Chilean population at the time, the women were incredibly religious. And it says, I have to quote here, this is from uh, William Bloom's Killing Hope. 
the scare campaign played up the fact that women in Chile, as elsewhere in Latin America, are traditionally more religious than men, more susceptible to being alarmed by the specter of, quote, godless atheist communism. One radio spot featured the sound of a machine gun, followed by a woman's cry. They have killed my child, the communists. The, answer, the announcer then added in impassioned tones, Communiz communism offers only blood and pain. For this not to happen in Chile, we must elect Eduardo Frey. He was the guy against Allende. Um, the CIA, uh, 20 radio spots per day in the capital of Chile, uh, 44 different, uh, they call them provinces, but it would be like states in the United States, um, blasting workers groups, churches, unions, any kind of professional organization, just flooding these places with propaganda saying, look, the communists are gonna kill your kids. They're gonna, they're gonna turn you into mindless slaves. They are going to, uh, they're gonna rape and murder your children. Meanwhile, in a place like Guatemala, 200,000 people are killed. So it, it's, it's this horror. And it's the same thing I believe I talked about, I guess every time I'm on a podcast, I say it's everything that the American right is afraid of has already happened to some other people because of, because of the American right's actions, right? So you're afraid of government oppression, rape, violence, torture, concentration camps. Well, we did that to black people here and we did that to Guatemalans. We did that to Chileans. We did it to Puerto Ricans and Dominicans and Filipinos. And, you know, you pick a country, we, we supported it happening. It could be Angola. It could be Congo. It could be, it could be Vietnam and so on and so forth. But I mean, that's how the propaganda works. We're going to flood you. We're going to say, look, uh, on one hand, the Americans, they tell the Americans, look, we're, we're helping these people. But for the people involved, they say, look, you're being duped. These, these communists are going to come. Um, like I said, radio, television, they, they pay off preachers and priests and so on and so forth. Uh, television ads, anything you can think of. Propaganda is, is all-consuming. And $20 million in a country like Chile in the 1960s is a lot of money, and it fetches you. A, I mean, that's a lot of money now. But in Chile right. in the 1960s, in a presidential ad, it, it gives you almost un unbridled, unbridled power. They, 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 they flood opposition, the opposition gets powerful. And in a, in a country like uh, Venezuela, thankfully the military stepped up and said, no, we're gonna support the government. In Bolivia, that wasn't the case. The military, the police, which are very right wing, which have a history of oppressing the very people that, that make up the majority of these countries, they, they, they turned on them. I mean, it, it's, it's hatred of the Indian, hatred of black people, hatred of poor people. Um, all the ugliness we have in the United States with racism and, and, and bigotry, it exists in Latin America, but at time, because of the authoritarian nature of those regimes, the brutality had its mask taken off. Um, which, unless you were a black person or you know, a Chinese person building a railroad, you probably didn't face the violence in the United States, the institutionalized violence that uh, a lot of people in Latin America and other parts of the world, parts of the world face. I mean, you could talk about Jim Crow South, and they'll, they'll tell you about violence and institutionalized uh, terror and oppression. But them aside, it's not something that we've, we've experienced, well, other than Native Americans, Jesus, of course. But I mean, that, that's part of the issue. In countries like uh, Peru and countries like Mexico and countries like Guatemala and El Salvador, they didn't, they didn't eliminate, they didn't murder their entire Native American population like we did here. So if you live in the Dakotas, if you live in the Southwest, there's a lot of racism towards Native Americans. But in the Northeast, Northeast we're kind of insulated against, against that or insulated from that. 
Um, whereas in Latin America, the Indians are everywhere. And with this recent coup in Bolivia, you see it in the language um, used by the government, calling them heathens and treating them like barbarians. And they're, you know, again, like bumpkins and they're poor and they're ignorant. And that's the thing. The idea is these brown people have the audacity to run their country the way they see fit. I remember I was, I was a teenager. My dad said, look, Vietnam just wants to run their country and they don't want anybody else to run their country for them. And that's it. You don't got to like it, but it is what it is. All they want is to run their country the way they see fit. And, and that's, that's what it is. That's what it is with, with all these countries. So kind of, you know, it's the same playbook no matter whether it's the 1800s, the 1900s, or 2019, like it's the same fun. sort of propaganda playbook they keep using, Look, which be- in a way actually lets gives us a chance to kind of inoculate people. Um, sort of, you know, this is your injection of how to prepare for, because we're going to keep doing it. Yeah. That's what our country's based on. Our country is based on stolen wealth and stolen land and stolen people. So we're going to keep doing it. And... The propaganda is nefarious and it slides in and you don't even realize you're being subject to it sometimes. But because we have this track record, you can give people a little bit of a, this is what you look out for going forward. You can see when you're seeing these things happen. It's not always, and this is the thing, it's not just international politics. It's not just, you know, capitalism or imperialism. Look at what's happening with public education. Look at what's happening with higher education. Look at the post office, right? We have elements in this country, discredit, defund. And when it doesn't work, they say, hey, look, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Try the private option. Well, you've been discrediting it and defunding it. It doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work because you don't allow it. Um, Whether it's people in Guatemala trying to democratize, whether it's, um, like I said, the post office or whatever, it's the same playbook. We're going to discredit them. We're going to defund them. We're going to do everything we can to, to hinder and hamper them. And then if they fail, we could say, see, we told you it didn't work. See, Venezuela doesn't work. Socialism doesn't work. Meanwhile, you know, they don't tell you about the economic blockades. They don't tell you about withholding assets, withholding resources from Venezuela, threats of foreign intervention. But no, socialism doesn't work. Cuba's evil, but they don't tell you about the blockade. They don't tell you about the poisonings, the bombings, the invasions. Um, It's again, this is propaganda. These are dumb brown people. They don't know any better. And we're civilizing them. And screw what you heard. It didn't happen. We're America. Everything we do is right. George W. Bush said, I'll never apologize for America. How do you talk to somebody like that? If you're never going to apologize for if you if you cannot acknowledge your problems, um, then you can never you can never grow. Um, when we talk about loving America. I, I, I read an article at Time a couple of years ago, and I, I, I it was a really good analogy of how a lot of people see America, particularly as conservatives, but I I think it works for everybody. Um, I think if you're a progressive and you're an educated progressive, you know, this idea of loving America or loving your country, whatever, right? But this idea that your your country is like a relative who's racist, right? Like I like you gotta everybody's got a racist relative, uncle, grandfather, whatever. And it's like, all right, like are you going to judge them by the worst that they've done? Right? Like my grandfather, your grandfather, whoever might be a bigot, but they're all the, also the person that, you know, taught me how to ride a bike or bought me my first, you know, guitar or skateboard or, or whatever it is. And that's, that's part of the issue. Uh, the problem is, I mean, that, that loyalty that, that, that we would have, that, that love for other people, that love for our neighbors, it's, it's not shared by the elites, right? They'll stomp on people, they'll crush them and use them for their, uh, you know, for their own material wealth and material gain. So as you might look at a Guatemalan and say, hey, you know, you're my neighbor, um, 
the capitalist says, look, that's just another person to be exploited. And I don't even think it's even evil. And I think that's one of, one of the horrors of it. I don't think capitalists are evil because they want to do evil. I think they're evil because they're indifferent. You know, I, I, they're I, sociopaths. I, yeah, I don't think like I, when I was on Diane's show for the first, I don't think they're sitting in a room like, how can we oppress Guatemala? They don't care. Right. We want we want that money. Um, they just don't even see people. They don't see people. Really. It, it's, it's assets. It, it's it, it's like it's like a horse. It's like a like a plow. It's like a tractor. Um, well, you know, bootstraps or whatever, or these are the governments they want or whatever lies we tell ourselves to not really uh, acknowledge or address the issue. Well, they're a bunch of Do dumb you think they've people. actually internalized their own propaganda at that point where they're incapable of seeing someone brown as the same as them Absolutely. or someone? I, mean, I think that's how, how racism works. I think that's how bigotry works. I think that's how ignorance works. I mean, um, if you're an, I don't think anybody who's having who's had an open minded worldly education is going to say, you know what? Nah, screw that. I'm just going to be a white supremacist. No, I think a lot of people. Who, who, who are educated, who do know the facts, who at a young age are taught the right thing, who, who, whose hearts are, I'll, I'll take that, if your heart is in the right place, I don't think there's anybody whose heart is in the right place who says, yeah, I'm going to be a fascist and support right-wing governments. And that doesn't happen. So when you start seeing these pounding the nationalist drums oh, yeah. or portraying others as somehow less than, of not as educated, not able to make the decisions for their country. You know you're being subjected to Absolutely. propaganda at that point yeah. in time. And you need to take a step back and be like, okay, what is the real underlying situation here? Or what? It's not any of this stuff you're telling me it is. What really is going on here? And that's kind of how you, in the future going forward, maybe we can at least put up some sort of a more organized and better resistance yeah. when our country is trying to invade other countries yeah. and trying to take self-determination from everyone around the world. Yeah. I mean, you have to familiarize yourself with history. I mean, you have to be a fan of history, read your current events, try to understand what's going on in politics, but know that when you watch CNN, Fox News, or even MSNBC, you're not getting the full story, which is why outlets like New Jersey Revolution Radio, wink, wink, are good outlets. Wine women, wine women revolution. It's an outlet for people to get the truth without having to worry about all the corporate BS. Um, so if you want to insulate yourself from from uh, propaganda, a know history so that you know what to look for. B get yourself a media outlet that you can trust, a la New Jersey Revolution Radio. Um, on social media, hey, call people out. I'm a biggie for that. I like calling people out. Um, you don't even have to do it in face. Hey, be confrontational. <laughs> On, on social media, um, old school things, writing letters to the editor and so on and so forth. Heather, I know you were, you were fond of, uh, of heckling our good friend uh, JVD, Mr. Personality, yeah. Mr. Personality <laughs> who couldn't be named on the last time I was on your show. But um, <laughs> surprise, he turned out to be a Republican. Wasn't he the one you told me? He, he said climate change wasn't real. He said he's the one that said it was a Chinese hoax, right? And then lo and behold. No, he, no, he was, didn't say it was a Chinese hoax. Oh, that, was an, okay, that was him though, right? <laughs> he didn't say that, but that was him. He denied climate change or something like that. Um, kind uh, of, yeah. Uh, he well, the mask is off. Did you know, definitely was, uh, not. Uh, he was, I think he said, well, if things were as bad as you say, that would be bad. Yeah. Was okay. I think his go, go statement. Go say that, to to that go, yeah, if things were as bad as you, they you just lost a billion animals, dude. It's bad. Right. But, you know, that's that's the world they live in um, again. But, hey, you know, it could be climate change. It could be well, this guy, you know, Jeff Van Drew. It, it's the denial. And this is the biggie. And I um, 
I was with Brian one time, I think it was a couple weeks ago, and he, he referred to a certain politician as stupid or dumb. I don't like that. I don't like calling them stupid or dumb because when you call them stupid or dumb, you let them off the hook, right? These people know what they're doing. They're making money and they're profiting, whether, it's their, your, whether you're some dumpy little New Jersey, South Jersey politician, whether you're the president of the Congo or Guatemala, and they're bettering themselves, they're, they're bettering their lives, they're, they're doing it at the cost of their own populations at the cost of human life, uh, human suffering. Uh, people want schools, people want health care, people want houses. Um, and that is too often too much to ask for. When developing countries come to the United States for, to ask for aid, it always comes with a price tag. Well, you want billions of dollars in aid? Sell us your electric company, sell us your water company, sell us your fruit company, sell us your oil company. These businesses know what they're doing. These politicians know what they're doing. They're coming in and they're carving up these countries like uh, like a pie. And to call them dumb, and I just think it lets them off the hook. I, I think I think it's intentional. I, I think they're indifferent, but the actions are intentional. Capitalism is intentional. The consequences they're just indifferent to them. I think I think that's a succinct way of putting it. Yeah, that's a good. I think that's a good place to start wrapping yeah. it up for tonight. And you know, I think I wanted to just add. Most of these people in these countries just want to live their fucking lives and not be fucked with. Go to like school, that's it. Fall in love, <laughs> get a job, you know, take care of yourself, spend time with loved ones. That's all anybody. That's all anybody wants to do, right? But unfortunately, there are people that want power that will use lies, rhetoric, conspiracy theories, misinformation, propaganda to uh, to get themselves ahead. And that's and pick any country, any country that someone's told you that you should hate any country, any country, no matter what country it is that somebody's told you you're supposed mm -hmm. to hate that country. You have more in common Absolutely. with the person that lives in that country than you do with the rich elite in this you can country. You hate North Korea, you, which is a totalitarian state. But after the collapse of the Soviet Union, we, we learned that there is never total control. There are always resist. You can never control all the people, which is why which is why they so often need to resort to violence, which is why in this country we were so quick to resort to violence, because we knew we couldn't control all the populations and we needed we needed fear as an instrument to keep them in under control. Well, thank you again for the education you I'm gave everyone rambling. tonight. I, thank I you for being here. There, Heather. <laughs> but uh, anytime you want to have me, thank you. I absolutely love being a part of the team. And thank you. And thank you. To my listeners, thank you for joining us again here today. Hopefully you learn a lot of things you weren't taught in school about the history of all the, I will happily call them atrocities that the U.S. has done in its short lifespan, really, compared to some other countries. Yeah. Like, we haven't even been around that long, and we've committed a lot of atrocities. Yeah, we're talking England the and Spain. Yeah, these guys got to got a run on us and we're like we can give England right they've got a long track record <laughs> and you know really it's not things that we hear because we only hear about the patriotism the american exceptionalism and this stuff happened and knowing our history helps us predict what's going to happen in the future and not let these atrocities happen again thank you so much for joining us the future is yours to create go out there and create it <laughs>